Good morning. I'm going to tell you this every Sunday, but prayer cards on the back of your chair, and then there are also this colored ones for prayer. So either one, if you fill them out, we'll pray for them immediately, and then we'll be praying for them at least about once a month. They'll be prayed for individually. Uh, also, there's a bowl up here called our trumpet bowl, which is answers to prayer. Those are green. So if there are things that the Lord has done in answering your prayers, we'd love to hear about that. It's very encouraging to be able to hear what the Lord's done in answering our prayers. Uh, also, before I have you stand, uh, there are, there's a referendum coming up that we'll, we'll be having. Uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but I wanted to just tell you about it if you don't know about it. And I've been talking, a lot of people don't know about it. It's Referendum 101, and it's, it repeals state law 5599 without getting into a lot of detail. And I want to talk about this in the midst of our study also. But we're going to start with our signatures next week on this referendum. Also, there's, a, there's an initiative, 2081, basically restoring parental rights. And I don't know if you know what's going on with all this stuff, but it's, it's really uh, quite hideous, actually. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it in conjunction with what we're talking about this morning in understanding to take to heart. But so next week, we'll start uh, giving you information. But on the, on the connect, at the connection desk, there is a piece of paper that looks like this. that has the, two, the referendum and the initiative on it. Basic information, but no links. So uh, we'll have that for you next week, or you can go online, I'm sure, and find it out. So with that, would you stand as we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, the gospel understanding to take to heart. Uh, last, night, last week, we looked at understanding the, the hard heart, how God deals with us in our hard hearts. But here this morning, in chapter 7 of Mark, the first 23 verses, I'm going to read through verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll open them. Keep them open as we go back to the text as we're going through this verse by verse. Uh, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, pray, and we'll get into it. So verse 1 of chapter 7, verse 1 of chapter 7, verse 1 of chapter 7. Hello? <laughs> then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washings of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, verse 9, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And then again, he repeats it, and many such things you do. Let's pray. Lord, please, I ask your blessing over these, this portion of Scripture. I pray the things I prepared, you break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. Lord, I, I ask you just grant to me, be able to communicate the things from your word to your people this morning. That you bless this time we're taking to go through your word, to hear, and then, like you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Please, give us ears to hear. Bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the tradition, the word tradition, whenever I hear it, maybe a lot of you also, I think of Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition, tradition. I can't quite do it like he does it. Uh, is tradition good or bad? Mark Twain said this, the less there is to justify a traditional custom, the harder it is to get rid of it. It just becomes ingrained. 
Whereas Winston Churchill said, quote, a love of tradition has never weakened a nation. Indeed, it has strengthened nations in their hour of peril. So here we see the Pharisees and scribes, and they're holding to the tradition of the elders. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, the Pharisees had an important and good beginning. They arose during the intertestament times. They defended the Jewish way of life against all foreign influences. They wanted to preserve Judaism, having intensely religious convictions. Some have actually called them the Puritans of that age. The scribes had the same. They started out well. Ezra was the founder of the scribes. They were the professional expounders of the law. They took the law and illustrated and applied it to everyday life. This is what that means. This is what that means. This is what that means. So traditions in and of themselves often get off to a good start. Tradition means to just give over or to transfer. As Jesus said in verse 13, your tradition which you have handed down. So the intention of tradition is to hand down, to remind or to express or to preserve beliefs, and or to commemorate and honor a special event, be it past or present. In the Christian church traditions, now you might not think this is a tradition, we're having a baptism day, but baptism is a tradition in the strict sense of the word. Uh, communion, prayer, responsive reading, ordination, marriage, anointing the sick, then you have Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas. Family traditions include birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, promotions, and on it goes. So there are many, many traditions in and of themselves that are good, meaningful, and really integral part of a rich heritage tradition. But what Jesus is confronting are the tradition of the elders in relationship with God. He answered and said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Now, that's pretty intense. <laughs> and, in, and if you look at Matthew chapter 23, eight times, hypocrites, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. So Jesus had some very strong language as far as where these guys were coming from. They were hypocrites. Now, he says, Isaiah prophesied. In Isaiah chapter 29, we read, Therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, what Jesus is quoting, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. He goes on. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. In other words, what they're doing, they're trying to hide it. And their works are in the dark, what they're doing. They say, who sees us? And who knows us? Surely you have things turned around, God said. You have, wait, you got this all backwards. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? So the context in Isaiah is their hearts were far from God. They were hypocrites. They were living hidden lives, trying to hide what they were doing, knowing full well what was going on. So over time, things changed. The tradition of the elders became the tradition of men. The tradition of men be began laying aside the commandment of God began to teach as doctrines the commandments of men. Uh, heaven, we have a problem. There's a problem here, major problem. Over time, though they appeared to be so close to God and would have you to think the same, their hearts were far from God. We have a problem. Pharisees became strict legalists. Legalism... They were displaying themselves to be seen by men. 
the scribes developed a system of hair-splitting rules for the purpose of elevating themselves above men. Self-righteous legalism leads to spiritual hypocrisy. Where this playing the part, that's what the hypocrite means. A A hypocrite means playing the part, putting on a mask. Trying to be seen as someone that they're not. Hiding themselves. They're they're deceiving. There's this living, but to be seen by men. And really hypocrisy is being, you're lying. You're saying things that aren't true in order to be elevated above men. And these are indicative of hypocrisy. It's a matter of the heart. The heart with God. The relationship with God. Now, at this time, they were orally communicated. They were handed down orally. It would be about 150 plus or minus a few years where they would be written down in what is called the Mishnah. This was the document now. It means repetition, the Mishnah, repetition. It had 613 rules that became the earliest authoritative body of the oral law of Moses, or of the scribes and Pharisees. So over time, that's what happens, over time, what may start out well, what may start out good, becomes something that is actually bad. It's not good in this context in esteeming what it means to have a relationship with God. Jesus came and turned them upside down and on their heads. Are you not thankful he did so? He came to teach us what is the, what, as far as the heart of the matter in our relationship with God. What he's saying basically is the externals don't matter if something's going on in the internal thing. That's where God sees. That's what he sees, the heart. So they became more concerned with the letter of the law rather than the heart of the law. Rabbi Eliezer said, he who expounds the scripture in opposition to the elders will have no part in the world to come. Whoa, I mean, that's elevating them where they ought not be. So the great body of Jewish tradition slowly obliterated the heart in God's relationship with man. God is what? Love. Love is the fulfillment of the commandments. So the thing that God is communicating in the law is his love. His perfect love. It fulfills the law. See, that's what's getting in the way here. Now, something I learned from my pastor, Chuck Smith. When someone would try and put on him some certain practice or some certain conviction that we should be doing, we should be doing, he would communicate, he would say, first, show me how it's made you more loving, and then I'll consider it. Great response. As far as when it comes to doctrinal convictions, my position is, and I believe it's, it's a healthy one, is it an essential to our salvation? In which case, we must agree. But if it's a non-essential, of which there are many, There's a lot of liberty, there's a lot of need to be able to talk about those things and have fellowship around those things without being divisive, legalistic, and fault-finding. So that's what we read. Over time, this rigidity comes in, this judgmental attitude, this self-righteous, this arrogance, really. And they found fault, verse 2. That's what, it always leads to that. It has to. I have the way and you don't. I know what's right and you don't. So fault finders, it was their personal duty to go around and connect, correct people, correct the issues. And they did that with robes and phylacteries. It was never them. It was you. You need to be straightened out on this matter. Now, what do they find faulty? Verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask, why do your disciples then not do that? 
And so they had developed this elaborate hand-washing law. And as I understand it, <laughs> one and a half eggshells of water. And when you went to the marketplace, because you might have touched a whatever, before you ever took any food in your mouth, you had to wash in this certain way. Imagine eating a meal this way. You hold your hands up, and one and a half eggshells of water are poured over your hands to start. And then as it's, as it's wet, then you take one fist and do this, and then one fist and do this, and you're holding it. And then you turn them over, and another uh, bath goes over your hands, dripping down, and now you're ceremonially clean. And so they had that and many others that they had. If you don't do it this way, you're unclean. You're not, right, you're not able to have a relationship with God. Get it right. He said, all too well, notice, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So they had come to believe that they were the arbitrators. They were the guides. They were the ones that needed to be uh, obeyed. Their rules and regulations were the means by which you can have a relationship with God. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. The first movement toward the, a mastery of the soul by legalism, the first movement, is the movement of that soul away from immediate, first-hand fellowship with God. Now it's through this, or by this, rather than, no, through Christ, I have a relationship with God. In Matthew's account of this same happening, Matthew chapter 15, his disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this say? They're going to be mad at you. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. He's talking about the same, the same situation. He's saying they're blind. It always leads to spiritual blindness, legalism. In Romans chapter 2, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore... Who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Do you understand the law? Do you understand this, this needs to be reflected into your heart? You who preach a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And Jesus made this very clear. It's not what we do outwardly. It's what's going on in the heart. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, the Jews. Now in verse 10, Moses said, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making their word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So he's a specific thing, another specific thing here. You see, they had figured out a way to circumvent so as to annul the word of God. Watch out. But that's the nature of our fallen sinful nature, is to circumvent what we don't like. Korban, that is a gift to God, it's declaring that you are dedicating it to the maintenance and support of the temple. To annul, what they're doing is circumvent, to annul the basic responsibilities and moral obligations of God in his love to their parents. But it goes much farther than that. It's to our neighbors. It's, it, it has a broad spectrum, but in this case, it's to the parents. It's the fifth commandment. So the least that children were to do was to share with their parents that which God had given them. Along come the rabbis to put their spin on it. Their spiritual spin, of course. 
they're basically scamming away what was to be what was to be given in honoring a father and a mother. You no longer, notice, you no longer let him. In other words, they put him under obligation to circumvent and manipulate him out of the clear and loving obligation of the fifth commandment. Now, if his parents were in need or to benefit, you no longer let him do that. Now, it might be that he didn't want to do that for his parents. Either way, it was a way whereby selfishness and disobedience are cloaked in a pseudo-generosity and piety. We're no, hold on a second. There's a responsibility here that may not seem very spiritual, but it is very spiritual. It's according to what God has commanded. It's very loving. In Timothy, Paul said, honor widows who are widow, really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For, for this is good and acceptable before God. It's very simple. It's very practical. It's very family. James, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble... And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. There's, there's the very simple commandments of God. To love each other and care for each other. Now I said I'd talk a little bit about more of these initiatives. My deep concern for our nation. We are seeing our government seeking to circumvent the God-given authority of parents. To circumvent that authority in raising their children but also in reinforcing in children to honor their father and mother. Here's what I would say. The truth is, they are coming for your children. They are coming for my children. They are coming for your grandchildren. They are coming for my grandchildren. And it is evil unlike anything that I ever have seen before. And many such things they are doing. So I repeat by way of exhortation. At minimum, research these things, come to your conclusions, and vote accordingly. What I'm seeing going on now, I better watch out here. Because there are so many things that I never in my wildest darkness thought I'd ever see happening in this nation. So, I'll move on. He says, hear me, everyone, and understand. To the multitudes, he says the same things to his disciples. Are you without understanding? He said, verse 14, to the multitudes, he said, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him those are the things that defile the man, a man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. He goes on to the disciples. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. He said to them, are you also without understanding? Do you not perceive that what enters a man from outside cannot, notice, it cannot defile him? Because he does not, it does not enter his heart but his stomach. And is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Now, this statement, thus purifying all foods, concerning these dietary laws that the Jews held sacred, this is a radical statement. But it's making a point. There's nothing wrong with dietary restriction. There's nothing good with seeking to live according to certain dietary things that God gave to them. Nothing wrong with that. But those, in, in, in the sense of, Relationship with God is not what defiles a person. So he's making a clear and radical truth. Eat at McDonald's and enjoy. The problem is inward, not outward. The problem is spiritual, not physical. The problem is the sin that is in their hearts. 
that no washing of hands, no matter how ceremonial, no dietary restrictions can do anything about. Would you say amen? The matter is a matter of what is in the heart. And what is in the heart comes out of the heart. And what comes out of the heart is from the heart. So you might say about your life many times, as I do, when I really don't want to believe that my heart is that, I'll say, where did that come from? And the Holy Spirit will say, it came from your heart. That word, that attitude, that response, where did that come from? It came from your heart. It came from my heart. Our hearts, Jeremiah says, are, are incurably sinful. I'm Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. There it is. That's the heart. And what Jesus is doing is he's pointing that out to these who say that they have this close walk with God, and yet their hearts are far from him. So verse 20 said, what comes out of a man that, what comes out of the man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. And he gives this list, beginning with evil thoughts. Evil thoughts is the root of all the various evils. It starts with how I think. Evil thoughts. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So this catalog consists of 12 things. And we can go through, I'm not going to do that, but these 12 things about what comes out of the heart. And it's one of those ugly lists. Adulteries, illicit sex relations by a married person. Maybe I will go through them a little bit. Fornication, sex outside of marriage, period. Murders, which means unrestrained anger. Thefts, these cravings for what don't belong to us. Now, we may not act on these things, but that's where the heart is. Covetousness, which means greed. Wickedness, which means malice and hatred, ill will. Now, you may not say anything. You may not tell anyone else, but what, what is it there? Yeah, it comes out of the heart. Now, the first sixth are, are viewed individually. The second six of this 12 are singular nouns depicting an, a disposition. Of the heart. Deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. That's an ugly list. <laughs> that is an ugly list. All these evils defile a person having their source from inside. One's heart. So Jesus is dealing with matters of the heart before God. Not before men. Before God. Lloyd Ogilvy said, the heart of Christianity is the heart. It's our hearts. So in verse 6, he says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. He's nailing them. Jesus had no illusions about human nature, as do some liberal theologians and humanistic teachers today. He had no illusions. Out of the heart proceed these things. Every person is born into this world a sinner with a sinful nature. With one exception. His name's Jesus. Sin is a fatal heart disease. Jesus took upon himself all our sin. He died in our place that by his stripes... We might be healed. Amen. The Pharisees and scribes refused to acknowledge that their true heart condition was one of hypocrisy, arrogance, blindness. Jesus minced no words. If you read Matthew 23, you'll get his complete spiritual diagnosis. Eight, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Here's three of the eight. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. (laughs) I think that's a great picture. 25, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. He's giving them straight on diagnosis. Here's the problem. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all unclean. Now, these are the religious leaders that held authority, and Jesus calling them to the carpet. If anyone else would have done this, they would have been excommunicated from the, from the uh, temple and dismissed as being not Jewish. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The problem is this. What is in the heart comes out of the heart. And what comes out of the heart is from the heart. And Jesus calling them to account. The heart is the center of human personality. It's our intellect, our emotion, and our will. And these things are who we are. It is what determines my actions and my inactions, my commissions and my not uncommitted ones. What I want to do and don't, what I don't want to do and do. It's who you really are as God sees you. It's what you're really made of as God sees you. So here's where I want to close from this message. You are not a Pharisee and you are not a scribe. Specific group of people that Jesus is running the task on. Calling them for who they are. But my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Who you are. And what you are must be understood by faith in what God has declared you to be as a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, then by faith in hearing the word of God and being convicted about that, the next step is to go to God and find there his righteousness through faith in Christ and become a part of his people. But I think here I'm speaking mostly to us as believers. I would say to you, dear brothers and sisters, who you are and what you are, how God sees you, must be understood by faith in what God has declared about you and promised to you. Where? In his excellent word. By faith in what God has declared, what God has given to us, these things of the woes will never be ours. The truth is still the same. What comes out of the heart comes from the heart. The things that are going on are a heart issue before God, but with a whole different relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I say, amen. So as we're examining these things, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. I want to say here, take this to heart, flee to Jesus. Flee to the word of God. Flee to the Holy Spirit. Flee to the Father with your life in his hands. And that's where the work that only he can do in transforming my heart and your heart, in transforming my relationship with him from glory to glory to glory. He does it.
So when I look at these verses, three things. Understanding to take to heart. Understand what you hold in your heart. Hold to the word of God for all that you are believing. Let me say that again. Hold to the word of God for all that you are believing. There are a lot of voices out there, a lot of sources out there. Do they line up with what is God has declared to you in the word? Are they true? Or are they lies? Are they false? Not only hold to the word of God for all that he, you are believing, but honor God according to his word in all that you are doing. Honor God according to his word in all that you are doing. Do not be laying aside the commandment of God. Do not be rejecting the commandment of God. Do not be making the word of God of no effect by our own circumventing. Paul told Timothy, you know it well, we've heard this many times. All scripture, not some, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed. God breathed. Every time you read your Bible, every time you hear the Bible, every time you're memorizing the Bible, every time you're thinking, every time the Holy Spirit brings that word into your heart, every time that, word, that, that song comes across your heart, God is speaking. Let me say to you, that is intimacy with God. But we've got to believe it. We've got to make sure that the word of God, we hold that in our heart. And we honor, what we honor in our hearts matters. Understand who you honor in your heart. God, and by honoring God, we're going to honor all of his commandments relationally with everyone else. It says there, is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What you're doing. And then here's the final thought. Here, God speak to you. From his word, above every other voice you're listening to. Hear, like Jesus said, hear what I'm saying. Hear me, understand. So above all the noise, all the chatter, what is God speaking? Am I hearing him? Who you are and what you are must be understood by faith in the word of God. In who he's, what he's declared. And I will tell you, and you know it well, many times my feelings interrupt what is the fact. The devil comes along, starts throwing these fiery darts, condemning me or whatever it is, and I'm going, oh, oh. no, hold on a second. Is that true? Is God condemning? Who shall condemn? It's God who justifies. If God's for us, who can be against us? You see, it's rooted in hearing God speak to you above all the rest of the noise. Understand how you hear in your heart. Understand how you're listening to God. What does it take to hear him? Have you given him that place, that time where you can sit with him and hear again from the word of God? I'm thoroughly enjoying my wife, Charlotte's in uh, Minnesota for a week. Our car got crashed, so that's in the getting fixed. So I'm driving her car. And several years ago, she would listen to talk radio all the time and get mad. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> but she started putting in the CDs of, of uh, Alexander Scorby just reading the King James Bible. So that's what I've been doing when I drive. It really helps my attitude. <laughs> but the other thing that's so incredible about it, and Charlotte will tell you this, so incredible, is it's living. 
powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So as I'm taking it in, maybe just try the word, the word, the word. It changes in hearing it, my attitudes. So let me just, uh, if I can, skim a little sampling. And I've got a bunch of them. I, I'm, I'm going to put some on the screen to begin, but then I'm just going to sort of sort through as we close. In Deuteronomy 4.9, Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless you depart, they depart from your heart. All the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Proverbs 4.20, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Context, listening to the word of God. Hearing the word of God. Honoring the word of God. Holding to the word of God. Hebrews, the word of God is living and powerful, sharp than any two-edged sword. Piercing the vision, piercing even, even to the vision of soul and spirit. And of joints and marrow, these mysterious things that we can't separate, but the word of God does. A discerner of the thoughts and intents of what? The heart. I love David. Don't you love David? He says he's a man after God's own heart. And yet he had some tremendous failure, one particularly with Bathsheba. It actually cascaded into a miserable consequences for years. But when that whole thing happened, he wrote Psalm 32, he wrote Psalm 51. You should read it. Because he comes to God, a broken, repentant man, crying out to him. See, that's the truth. Our hearts may be, we may find coming of our hearts some wicked things even. We need to bring them to God as they're exposed and bring them to him who says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You know, Jesus called the mercy seat the propitiation for our sins. He came so we can come to him and everything can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the subject, the propitiation, the mercy seat. Thank God his mercies are new. How often? Every morning. Do you believe that? Have you put that up there to say, hold on a second. And coming to God, cleanse me from my sin, he said. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me, David. And it gives us, it Psalms just gives us this psalm book of how to come to God. When the heart isn't doing very well. When there's things needed in relationship to him. And it's not, I don't need to go to the Pharisee, the scribe. I don't need to go to the Pope. I don't need to go to the pastor. I can go to God. And cry out there to him. And the truth is, because of what Jesus accomplished for me, I have a great high priest. And there I can find what I need, the cleansing. In fact, 1 John says, if, anyone confess, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If a man says he has no sin, he's a liar. Now, John's pretty direct. We have sin. We have problems. We're not going to walk around as Pharisees and scribes. We're going to walk before God in humility and, as John says, in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and our fellowship is with God, with the Father and the Son. This relationship is restored. Romans says, therefore, having been justified, how? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have, through whom also we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand. So when I sin, I, I've been justified by faith. My faith is in God's work through Christ on the cross. There I have this standing before God. And then through that I have access into his grace. What do you believe about the grace of God? What do I believe about the grace of God? What do you believe about the mercy of God? What do you believe about the work of Christ applied to your heart through faith? It seems too good to be true, indeed, but it's true. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But now I've been set free from sin through Christ. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Corinthians. 
Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Ooh. Be not deceived, neither, and another one of the ugliness, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Yes, that's what I used to be, but thank God that's not what I am before God. Justified, sanctified, and one day to be glorified. And you he made alive, Ephesians, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Ooh. Coo, 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 coo. <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy, because there's great love with which he loved. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly place in Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. Not by righteousness. It's not of But it's him who, who has saved us. And sanctified us. And is doing that work. And one day he has this amazing future. Why? Because I just washed my hands in the right way. I had my robes in order. I had the position. So I went, woo. Don't you believe it? <laughs> because God is rich in mercy. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. My heart is wrapped up in God's reconciling me to himself. And he wraps me in his arms. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And he says to all these accusations, hold on a second, he's mine. I'll keep him from someone. I'll keep him from falling. This whole, this whole picture of the new creation in Christ is what's pictured in baptism. And the reason I bring that up, because today we're going to be doing a baptism second service. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change of motivation, loyalties, and affections. It is also a visible and public declaration that the newborn Christian will no longer follow, follow the world's ways, his old his or her old life of sin, nor the temptations of the devil. It is a symbol of the burial of the old self with its slavery to sin and a resurrection to newness of life. So I want to close, and, and there's some questions we ask. If you're not baptized, it's a commandment of God. Jesus commanded it. You need to be baptized. Public declaration of what's already happened in your heart with God. It's commanded by Jesus. Practice in the book of Acts and taught about in the epistles. That's why we keep that tradition, if you will. You need to be baptized. But I read something this week in a book that someone gave me. Unless we pray. In the first chapter, he writes this. People want to know what I share with candidates before they are baptized. My words are simple and the same every time. Die well. Typically, I get a subtle smile and a nervous laugh as if to indicate to me, are you joking? What do you mean? And when my expression doesn't change, they realize I'm serious, and the severity of the moment sinks into their heart. Die well. Baptism. You see, according to Romans 6, baptism is likened unto a burial, a death. I know it sounds a little morbid, he writes, but it is the best advice I could give them. Then he says this. I tell people all the time that the degree to which you are willing to die to yourself will determine the degree to which God will use you. That's relationship. 
That's God taking the rightful place of honoring him. Honoring his word. Holding to his word. Hearing him. The depth of my repentance and brokenness determines how effective I am for the kingdom of God. I wholeheartedly believe you and I get to choose to what level God chooses. God uses us, unquote. So just in close, as the worship team comes up, would you bow your head with me and myself just to say, Lord, you know our hearts fully and completely. And we're thankful that you, through your great provision, sacrifice, have given to us by faith the forgiveness of our sins, a new heart of flesh, a new relationship with you in the new covenant. And by faith we stand in response to this that we've talked about and say, Lord, we are thankful. We thank you in Jesus' name for all that you have done for us. We humble ourselves, Lord, and we say, Lord, we want to go deeper. We want our lives to be surrendered to you so completely. It's as if we died. Have your own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Move in us and work in us, I pray. In our hearts, in our faith, in our endurance, in our patience, in our perseverance. Even this morning as we're closing, Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please. For our goodness and your glory, in Jesus' name. Would you stand? Let's worship together.